Welcome to the Foundry Church. We're so glad that you're tuning into this message. We post these audio versions every week so you can keep up with them by subscribing to this podcast. If you're interested in learning more about us as a church, you can visit our website at foundrychurch.net or like us on Facebook by searching our name. That said, here's this week's message in our series called Believe. Friends, we're in week four of the churches in Revelation. Some of you are here for baptism, and I'll be honest, um, you're going to be like, wow, that was super direct. But when you're in Revelation and Jesus is talking to the churches, it's going to be direct and we don't apologize for it. But here's what I want to do. I don't know if you've seen this movie, so help me out. Please use your arms if you have them and um, help me out here. Who here has seen the movie Inside Out? Okay, so most of us have arms. And um, Inside Out, it's this movie about a little girl. It's a Pixar movie, and it's the story of the emotions that live inside her head, the fear, anger, joy, sadness, and disgust that live upstairs and um, kind of guide her along. She has um, a make-believe friend who lives up there, too. Who remembers Bing Bong? Anybody? Oh, when Bing Bong took the memories and went, you're like, don't do it, Bing Bong. And he goes, oh, it was just devastating. I'm, yeah, I'm one to cry in movies, but I was like, oh, gosh. Yeah, it was just devastating because Bing Bong's are make-believe, but he saved her memories. It was great. And what we see in this is these different emotions rule and reign within the person's life. And here's what I find so interesting. As we as a family watched it, you know, and we would have, we have dinner and we'll be talking, sometimes the conversation will drift back to this movie because it had an impact psychologically. It was so well done from a psychological level that uh, it's not a psychological thriller, but it is entertaining. But we as a family would be like, who are my emotions? Who would play my emotions? Did anybody else do that? Okay, just Folkers being weird. Yeah, well, you're my son. Um, so I looked down, I'm like, oh, hey, know him. Um, so here's, here's who we defined living inside of my head. Um, these are mine. So fear, I'm not a typically fearful person, but when it comes to my kids, Erica, they, they all mock me and laugh at me. Subways and airplanes, is everybody on board? You know, I'm super overdone about it. I'm Marlon from Nemo, right? I'm like, you can't do it, Nemo. It, that is like me to a T. I'm overprotective. I've got problems. If you're a counselor, you can take me on for free. Uh, my next emotion, joy, would definitely be Tigger because Tigger is joyful, but he bounces on people. People, right? He just jumps on Piglet and he's like, hey, Piglet. And he's like, he kind of hurts him a little. That can be who I am a little bit. I'm super joyful, exuberant. Uh, you know, he seems like he wants to hug people. He's just a I, Tigger. That's my joy. And then disgust, Dame Judy Dench. If you've ever seen me give that look, I mean it. I super mean it. I, she's a hero of mine. She's from, uh, she's an English actress. Her name's Dame Judy Dench. And, uh, and she was in Pride and Prejudice, Lady Catherine. Anybody? Okay, a few of us, yeah, well done. Yeah, just when, you know, heaven and earth, the shades of Pemberley come to thus, and she just stares down this Elizabeth, and you're like, oh, you're a horrible woman, and I'm like, oh, you live right here in me. You know, she's my disgust. And then there's sadness for me. The beautiful Ariel, who I was in love with, you may think, that's weird. No, she was 16 when I was 16. It was perfectly normal. I had my entire football team over, showed them the movie, and when she came out of the water, she's like, Eric, my buddy Eric Stavol is like, oh, I'm like, see, we love her, don't we? We didn't date much, but we had a good time being friends. And um, so sadness, when Ariel's so sad, that, yeah, my sadness, it's, it's pretty sappy. And then when I lose it. 
when I have my daughter laughs, when I come unglued, when the, when the cork pops, that blue-faced crazy Scotsman, you know, put on a dress and have a fight with the English. That is me. I, I kind of lose my mind. So that is a good look inside of my head. If I were to unpack the emotional voices in my head, it would look like that. And in all honesty, I would say to you and I that most of us would be deeply uncomfortable if we had to have a movie made where our emotions were on display, our motives were laid bare, and people could see what motivates and drives us and the thoughts going on and the moments of disgust. Because, yeah, there's a lot of us who are like, hi, how are you? And inside, it's like, I can't stand you. And they look so nice, right? That, that goes on. We would hate for that to be laid bare. It would be very hard. But we also know that being known, being known as a person matters. It matters to us emotionally. It's important to our emotional well-being. And here's the thing we know about the church in Thyatira. They were people who were deeply, deeply known in their community. And then they were people who were left out. They were removed from community. They had these close relationships and they found themselves left out. Here's Thyatira in a quick glimpse. Thyatira was known for its guilds. And you're like, what? They could breathe underwater? No. Guilds. G-U-I-L-D-S. Right? Their guilds. And their guilds were like the textile guild. Or the bronze guild was the largest guild in Thyatira. They were known, they're still known in antiquity as the, the city. It was, a, it was a production city. So if you're part of the fabric, the textile guild, you would start out as a little child working as kind of a runner and going and getting things for the apprentices who went and did things for the journeymen who went and did things for the master textile workers and the fabric dyers and the different people. It was your community. You went to ritual festivals together. You were a tight, tight community. If you've ever been to Little Italy in Manhattan or Little Italy in Boston, which is a great Little Italy, it's awesome, uh, when you're there, it is like the Italian flags waving. It's very much that culture. That's how the textile or bronze or different guilds would have been in Thyatira. You grew up, you didn't get up and like, you know, I wonder what I'm supposed to be. No, you're working in textile. You're part of that guild. And you came up through that. When you chose to follow Christ, well, things started to change. We know the only person in Scripture mentioned who comes from Thyatira, and her name is Lydia, and she's mentioned by the Apostle Paul, and she worked in textile. She worked in the fabric industry. So for these people, when they followed Christ, they would quit going to ritual feasts. And what would they do? The, the guild would be like, dude, you're going to get the gods, the Greek gods, mad at us. So they would push them out of community, and they would find themselves lonely, and isolated from a place where they were once very close. They had to say goodbye to their social and financial benefits of being in that guild, and they had to cling to Christ. God saw the church in Thyatira. Jesus Christ speaks to the church in Revelation chapter 2, verse 18 and 19, to the angel of the church of Thyatira write, I am the Son, these are the words of the Son of God, whose eyes are like burning fire and whose feet are like burnished bronze. I know your deeds, your faith and your love, your service and perseverance. I know that you're doing now more, more now than you did in the beginning. God had seen in them what they were doing. 
He had seen them step out and step up in faith, and they were growing and transforming, and they were doing more now than they did in the very beginning. They were growing and transforming in Christ. That is remarkable considering how much they lost to follow Jesus. And yet, even though they were financially worse off and they were isolated socially, they were doing more and more for Jesus. But there is this thing that seems to be a theme among the word to the churches. There is the nevertheless that Jesus speaks to the church. You're doing these good things, but nevertheless, and though they had taken themselves out of community or been removed from community and followed Christ in mission, they were tolerating some of the wrong things. Jesus says, nevertheless, I have this against you. You have tolerated that woman Jezebel who calls herself a prophet. By her teaching, she misleads my servants into sexual immorality and eating food sacrificed to idols. I have given her time to repent of her immorality, but she is unwilling, so I will cast her onto a bed of suffering. Now catch this, and I will make those who commit adultery with her to suffer intensely until they repent of her ways. I will strike her children dead. Then all the churches will know that I am he who searches the hearts and the minds, and I will repay you according to your deeds. Let's just take a minute and talk about Jezebel, because she's from way back in the Old Testament, the book of Chronicles. She was the wife of King Ahab during the Israel, the, the nation of Israel. King Ahab and Jezebel were the most wicked, horrible monarchs ever to rule in Israel. They did terrible things against the people of God. Here's just a quick snapshot. They, um, they worked brazenly to move people away from God. Their goal was to get as many, her goal really, not even Ahab's, he was just kind of a weak-kneed follower, but Jezebel, was her goal was to move people away from God. She was brazen in her effort to remove people from relationship with God. She was defiant and she hated what God loved. She also got the people to participate in immorality and idolatry to the point of profound immorality, like just things more disturbing than we can contemplate, and child sacrifice, things like this. She was horrible and got the people not only to leave God, but to do the most detestable things possible. And then when God would send prophets into the land, she killed the prophets. She was a horrible person. And Jesus is speaking of the spirit of Jezebel. Not the, he's not saying she's back. He's saying there's a spirit of Jezebel. And she is represented in these people who are now in Thyatira, these people who've gotten into the church. They're known as the Gnostics. Now, Gnostics would go out into the wilderness, spend time in a cave, and come back with special revelation come back with a special revelation and they would come back and they would tell the church, this is what they were doing in Thyatira, the so-called deep secrets of Satan. They would tell the deep secrets and it was absolute destructive nonsense. This is what they would say to the church. It's historical fact. They would go in and they would say, if you want to conquer the sin in your life, what you have to do is participate at as deep a level as possible in a life of sin. Do every debauched, immoral, horrible, violent thing you can. Embrace your sinful nature and go as deep into it as you can because once you do that, then you know the enemy you're fighting. 
Oh, you're good with that. Okay, I'm super not. It's a bad thing, okay? That's a really bad thing. And, and, and not only just saying, go ahead and go do this, they would also say, once you're fully immersed, fully engulfed in the ocean of sin that you've created, then you will now fully understand the grace God's given you. I mean, how blasphemous is that? But that's what was going on in the church of Thyatira. The spirit behind it was the spirit of Jezebel, rebellion, taking people who were made, all human beings, made in the image of God, the imagio Dei, the, everybody's made in the image of God, and the rebellious spirit is trying to remove from God those whom he loves, trying to steal from God those he wants to redeem. It's a rebellious, brazen, arrogant spirit that literally opposes the will of God and does everything it can to break God's heart by encouraging people to sin and be separated from God. On the polar opposite spectrum, we have in Scripture, James chapter 4, verse 7. Now, James is the brother, the half-brother of Jesus. He's the leader of the church in Jerusalem. He was martyred for his faith, but he wrote the book in the New Testament, James. The latter third of the New Testament, you'll find the book of James. In James 4, 7, it says this, submit yourself to God, resist the devil, and he will flee. Like, hold those two up against each other. Res submit yourself to God. Don't give in to your base desires, and don't do the things that come naturally. Submit yourself to God. Resist the devil, and he will flee. Why, the Gnostics said, man, do whatever you can. Be as crazy and as sinful and as evil as you can. Then you'll get special revelation. And when I first was kind of working on this, like a chord was struck in my head, and I was like, you know, Satan has never changed his tactic. So just join me real quick. Before the fall, before sin entered the world, there was a woman standing in a garden, and a serpent came up to her, and he said, did God really say that you couldn't eat of any trees in the garden? And she said, no, he didn't say that. He said, we can eat of all the trees, but we can't eat of that one tree. It's the tree of knowledge of good and evil. And the day we eat of it, we will surely die. And what did the serpent say? You will not surely die. If you eat of it, you will have godlike knowledge, secret knowledge. You'll know the difference between good and evil. Do you see how it's never changed? The Gnostics are like, Look, do this, I mean, go, go as deep as you can. Get your secret knowledge. And, and the life of Christ is saying, submit to God, to his will, his purposes, and his plans, and live faithfully with him. Resist the devil, and he will flee. And this is what we know. The spirit of Jezebel and those who act in that spirit will be held to account. Jesus Christ said, I will put her on a bed of suffering and anyone who follows with her into her activities and commits adultery with her, which means embracing her beliefs and understanding, they will suffer immensely until they repent and turn and follow me. That is a tough word coming from Jesus Christ into the church, but we know this. She will be held to account. So we, let's deal with for a minute this idea and understanding of what James would say on this. The wages of sin are death. That's in the book of James. The pay you get for living a life of sin is death. What Gnostics were saying is the wages of sin is enlightenment. And that's a lie from the pit of hell. 
We can't believe those things. The wages of sin is death. If we live in sin, rather even secret sin that nobody else sees, God still sees. So we have to talk about letting the wrong things in. The church in Thyatira was doing this. This is the second week in a row where we're talking about churches that let the wrong things in. Pergamum had the Balaam story where he was sneaking in little things in the back door of their lives into the church. Today we have the brazen, bold-faced Jezebel kicking down the front door and bringing false doctrine into the church. And the church of Thyatira individually was doing good things, but corporately they were tolerating and allowing and justifying things to be going on in their midst that were against Christ. So what about us? What about us in this room? This is the part of the teaching I like to call Eric Loses Friends. It's, it's, it's a little rough. And I'm not saying, uh, I'm not doing this because in any way do I have it right, but I am going to say some things that will feel very harsh, very blunt, and very clear. But I do believe when Jesus talks to the church, he's saying some very harsh, very blunt things, and he doesn't end with, I'm sorry, I hope you like it. It's not that I want to offend, but let's just be honest. Let's talk about some of the things we tolerate. Let me do this. Who here? If you're a parent, I want you to do me a favor. Put your children at the age of about 12, 11 to 18 in your head, okay? Now, I want you to picture when they go to bed, you take them and you drop them off on Hollywood Boulevard right on the Sunset Strip at 10 p.m. at night. And you're like, hey, buddy, have a good night. I'll be back to pick you up for school. And you leave them on Hollywood Boulevard for the night. Anybody willing to do that? And if you are, you can't work in shakeout anymore, right? That's bad. <laughs> Somebody just volunteered. Um, what about this? Take your kids down to the Strip in downtown Las Vegas. Drop them off 9 p.m. Put them in their little zip-up PJs. 11's a little big for that, but, you know, you do what you can. Um, put them in there. You're like, hey, love ya. Sleep good. And you leave them on the Strip in Vegas, and you pick them up the next morning and say, hey, I'll get you for school. Anybody good with that? Anybody? Okay, let me be real honest. We would say that, like, why would I set my kid down at the gates of hell, right? How many parents sit there, send their kids to bed, and they're holding on to this? Every vile, pornographic, violent, horrible, abusive, bullying, weird, addictive tendency is on this. And if you don't think I'm wrong, look at the hump on people's neck when they're constantly like this. People cannot get their face off this. We put our kids to bed holding these things, and we set them down crisscross applesauce at the gates of hell and hope they're good with it. What are we tolerating in our homes? We need to stop. You're going to be uncomfortable as parents. Your kids aren't going to like you. But they will love you, and they will respect you. You want your phone in your room in my house? It's $1,000 a month. So far, they haven't come up with it. And there's frustration. Come on, Dad. Come on. No, absolutely not. I'm not going to park you with a portal to every vile, horrible thing in this culture and trust that you at 15 are going to do what I wouldn't have done at 15. Because men, if we're honest, what would you have looked at at 15 years old if you were in your room alone with a portal to everything that has? In first service, one boy, one 15-year-old's like this, women. I'm like... That's kind of the answer, and I love him for it. He was sitting right there, but he's honest. He, that's what he would look at. 
And we're like, well, they're okay. Let me tell you this. There is no difference between the church in Thyatira and you and I. If we will send our kids to bed because we don't want to fight. 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 This is the gates of hell in our culture. Fight. Stand up. Quit making excuses that God doesn't allow. You were given children. You made baptismal promises to raise them up in a home that will read scripture, teach them to pray, and send them to bed with that. Our public schools are asking us, don't give your kids devices when they go to bed. They're coming to school bedraggled and harassed, exhausted. Why? Because they're scared. They're left out, overlooked, disconnected. Kids aren't sleeping. Parents, I'm inviting you. Fight. I had a couple who's been married 42 years. They came up and talked to me, and they said, we had to make rules in our marriage. They've been married 42 years. They don't take their phones into their bedroom anymore because it was affecting their intimate life, their social interactions together. They were becoming strangers next to each other in bed, and they keep their phones out on the table. They don't bring electronics with them anymore because their marriage was suffering. People, I gotta tell you, we look at this, you think Thyatira had problems, I think we have problems. And it starts with little things like this. What will you fight for? What will you fight and say, you know what, no, I'm not gonna put my kids at the gates of hell and say, oh, I hope they don't fall into it. Yeah, they're gonna fall into it. Be their parent, fight. I had a friend, let's talk about friendships. We have friendships and everybody likes to be liked. I get that. But quite often we will overlook things in our friends' lives that are against the will of God, that are sinful, immoral, and broken. And we'll be like this, I just don't want to offend anybody. So I'll tell you this, I had a situation with a good friend of mine who was becoming fond of another lady who wasn't his wife. And I could see it happening. And when we talked, I heard her name, and I was like, this is not good. It's a guy I like and respect, but I just called him and said, hey, dude, we have to have a conversation. We have the conversation. He didn't enjoy it. He didn't like it. He didn't fully agree with me when we had it. And let's just say his cheeks were more red and flushed in anger when we ended the conversation than they were white, pink, and happy for the conversation. He wasn't glad. He was not glad. Called me back a couple days later, and he said, you're right. You're right. That is going on. I've grown fond of this person and it's wrong. And I, I, I'm gonna work out, thank you. Hung up, short, curt conversation. We talked this past week about it and he's telling me about how you know he wants to have it kind of shared. He didn't want names and all this, but he's like this, my wife and I would really like to make sure you know, that, that no names are said. I was like, oh dude, you told your wife? What? And I'm like, oh, wait a minute. I loved him enough to lose him as a friend. I'm willing to be hated to love someone enough to speak the truth. And it's hard to be hated because I've got another friend who basically wished me dead and has never spoken to me since after a similar conversation. How many friends do you have who are going down the wrong path, looking at things on their phone, taking part in things they shouldn't take part in? You don't want to offend anybody. Remember this, Jesus Christ considers willful, unrepentant sin the spirit of Jezebel, and if we tolerate it, we will suffer with it. We have to be a church that stands up and says, wait a minute, I'm called to more. I'm not holier than thou, I'm not better than you, but I am called to speak up on your behalf. I'm willing to say a hard truth if I see a friend who's in business 
business who's greedy and self-grabbing, I have to name it. If I see people who are abusive to other people or unkind, you have to name it. We have to name sin that lives in our culture. Whatever it looks like, we have to look at it and say, that has no place in the body of Christ because it was Jesus who said this. To uh, Then all the churches will know that I am he who searches the hearts and the mind and I will repay your deeds. Those are Jesus' words. He's saying, don't do this because God knows what's going on on the inside of you and I. He knows the voices. He knows the tendencies. He knows the hidden desires and the problems that we, we justify in the darkness we have. And we're like, nobody knows about it. Jesus Christ knows. He is the one who says, all the churches will know that I am he who searches the heart and the mind of the church individually and corporately, and I will hold you to account. God understands what's going on on the inside, and that word is both warning and comfort to two different groups of people. It's a warning to those of us who think we can hide certain sins on the inside, and since nobody else sees it going on, it's no big deal to God. That is a lie from the pit of hell, and it will cost you. It will cost you to live in willful, unrepentant sin. He's warning you, I know. Jesus is saying, I know Jezebel. I know the Nicolaitans who justify all their sinful behaviors. I know how they hide things and how they brazenly push people away from God. I will tell you this, church, we better tune our ears to what the Lord Jesus Christ is saying. We can't play around with what Jesus died to save us from and redeem us from, amen? We can't live in this comfort that is false and hollow and think, well, I don't think, you know, I don't think Jesus meant he sees everything. He actually gives us a pretext to this verse in Revelation, and it comes in 1 Chronicles, the Old Testament, when David speaks to his son Solomon right before Solomon ascends the throne, and he says this, King David speaking to Solomon, as for you, my son Solomon, know the God of your father and serve him with a whole heart and a willing mind, for the Lord searches all hearts. He understands every intent of the thoughts. And let's just be glad again, we don't have to have a movie made that shows our intentions and our motives, the pretext for what we do. I know and understand every intent of your thoughts. If you seek him, he will let you find him. Isn't that the sweetest thing ever? Like you don't think about it, but if my kids played hide and seek with me when they were little, I hid till they found me. And there were times they're like, dad, where are you? Oh, and they're so scared and sad. I'm like, oh, this is awesome. They, I, I'm huge in the house, they can't find me. And they're like crying and searching. When Erica plays hide and seek, she like stands in a room. Oh, we found you, and they're all joyful. She wanted to be found. She wanted it to be fun. I wanted to win, right? There's a different mentality. God's saying, if you seek him, I will let you find me. But if you forsake him, hear this, church. David said to his son Solomon, David, the root of the messianic line, the bloodline of Jesus Christ, the root of it said, if you forsake him, he will reject you forever. And Jezebel has forsaken him. And the church that pretends that sin is no big deal is a blasphemous tone in the ear of God. Jesus died because of our sin. It's the one thing that separated us from God. We cannot condone it. But for those of you who understand, this is so that's your warning. That comes across like a 90-mile-an-hour fastball under the chin. That's pretty clear. But the comfort is this. For those of you who are in this room, 
like those in Thyatira who have stood faithful and you have resisted and you have lost much and you have followed at great faithfulness and you've worked to guard your hearts and minds against the, the false teachings of our culture and all these things. Jesus understands what you're up against and you're not alone. You should be comforted knowing that Jesus is aware and he searches all hearts and all minds and he will see you and he does know what you're going through. God understands but God also understands what's going on on the outside. He knows the pressures that push in. And he's compassionate and he's loving. Revelation 2, 24 and 25. Now I say to the rest of you in Thyatira, you who do not hold to her teaching and have not learned Satan's so-called deep secrets. I just think that's awesome. Like you can air quote that, right? Satan's so-called deep secrets. I will not impose any other burden on you except to hold on to what you have and what you have until I come. Just hold on. Just get a grip and hold on. Think of like a skier behind a jet boat, right? You just got to get a grip. You just got to hold on. Jesus is saying, look, I know how tough it is. Just hold on until I come. Jesus knew they'd given up status, finance, jobs, friendships. They were no longer relevant in the life and the society they came from. He knew they had worked hard not to participate in the false teaching of the Gnostics to be part of that Jezebel movement. When they imposed the wrong theology, they resisted it. And he says, I will not impose on you any other burden. Look, I know you've got your plate full. Can you just hold on? How tender and how loving is God to do that? Just hold on until I come. You're not alone. I'm coming back. Hold Hold. I love that image of a God who's not like, hey, can you hold this with your teeth and carry this burden too? No. He's like, just get a grip. Just hold your ground. Remain faithful. Do that because here's the thing. He's calling us to rule inside. He calls the church of Thyatira to rule inside. It's the charge that comes from Jesus in this scripture. He says, I will not ask anything more, but I charge you, I implore you, I call you to hold fast. That word in Greek means to rule over strongly. Think of a monarch well-armed standing guard over the crown. He's gonna guard it. It means to rule over. We must rule our mind and our body. The spirit of this world says, hey, you do you. I mean, we know how tempting culture is, people fall. No. Scripture said, Jesus says to the church, rule over your mind and body. Submit yourself to God. Resist the devil. He will flee. Rule over it. Take strength. It takes tenacity. But how do you do that? How do we live a life that we, um, that we let God, like, rule in us by his Holy Spirit. We invite him to fill us and we rule by the power of the Spirit. And the Apostle Paul in the letter to the church in Corinthians said it this way, and it's so well done. Demolish arguments and every pretension, every pretension and motive that sets itself up against the knowledge of God. I love that. Demolish arguments in every pretension that sets itself up against the knowledge of God. And we take captive every thought and we make it obedient to Christ. Now, I don't know about you, but anybody else play forts and stuff when you were little? Like you'd build forts and you'd have wars with your neighborhood. Those were the best. I love that. Had you ever take captives and you have one kid just following? No. 
You just you grab them. You're dragging humans. You're my captive. And they're like, no. You know, and you get caught by somebody, they drag you off and you're a captive. It's not a passive experience. It's not like, oh, praise God, he's a captive. No, it's work. You take it captive. You make it obedient to Jesus Christ. You submit yourself. You take it captive. We take captive every thought, and we make it obedient to Christ for one reason, so that we can rule on the outside. But it starts here. What did Jesus say in the Gospel of Matthew when the Pharisees are kind of getting after him because his disciples ate without washing their hands? And he says this, it's not on the outside what makes you dirty. It's what's on the inside. It's what comes out of a man that makes him dirty. For out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks Jesus is saying, man, rule inside. Rule inside. Thyatira had to rule inside. The Foundry Church has to rule themselves inside. And then there's a promise. So I'm going to charge you with the words of Jesus. Rule. Hold on. Rule over your passions, your desires, and your eagerness to be liked, to gossip, whatever the sin issue is you face. Rule over it and hear these words as we close to the one who is victorious and does my will to the end. I will give authority over the nations. I will give authority over the nations. That one will rule them with an iron scepter and will dash them to pieces like pottery. Just as I have received authority from my father, I also give that one the morning star. Whoever has ears, let them hear what the Spirit says to the churches. If you heard it, follow it. If you, like me, find yourself going, oh, I've got some work to do, praise God. Whoever has ears, let them hear what the Spirit says to the churches. Lord Jesus Christ, we, your people, just stand before your word, and we ask that you would convict us and transform us, that you would call us out of sin and into your light. For the glory of Jesus and the purpose of his kingdom, we ask, God, that we would tolerate no sin, that your spirit, when you convict and reveal a sin in us, we would not hold on to it like a pet, but we would open our hands and we would follow you in repentance, God, we would turn towards you and walk away from sin. It's not easy, God, but with your spirit, it's joyful. It's alive. And we ask, God, that you would help us as a church come to life and be living, breathing evidence of the gospel's transformative work. Thank you, Lord Jesus, for speaking to the church in Thyatira and in the Foundry Church today. We pray this all in your name. Amen. Pete and Libby, I'm going to have you guys go out. You guys, make sure you catch up with Pete and Libby as you go. I want to make one quick distinction so we know. If you're in here and you have never received Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, this may feel like sinners in the hand of an angry God moment, but that's not what it is. You are welcome to come. We will pray with you. I would love to lead you in the sinner's prayer and let you experience the grace and freedom of being forgiven. If you're a Christian in this room and you've made allowances for sin and behavior that is against the gospel of Jesus Christ, hear that warning. Turn, repent, and respond faithfully. As the church of Jesus Christ, we are not working out our salvation by our own good works. We're receiving the grace of Jesus Christ, and then we live in it. And when the Spirit of God convicts us of a sin, repent and run to the one who redeemed you with his blood. We are the church. The church will never kneel to the culture. The church will never stop advancing the gospel message, but it advances it in lives that are willing to be convicted of sin, repent, and follow. We are being made, transformed into the image of Jesus. We are not asking Jesus to be made in ours. 
So church, go and live in that joyful transformation. Allow the Spirit to convict you and make you more like Christ. And as you go about this, if you need prayer, we would love to spend some time praying with you. Come up front. We have prayer stations. We would love to do that. Don't hesitate to spend time in prayer. If you need to stay in the room and pray, if you're like, well, people will see me. The church has seen worse things than members repenting. There's nothing wrong with spending time just quietly letting God do his work. As you go about this, may the Lord bless you. May the Lord keep you. May the Lord cause his face to shine upon you and be gracious to you. May the Lord turn his face towards you and give you his peace. In the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. My friends, it is time for the church to leave the building. You are dismissed. Thanks for listening to this week's message. If you're looking for a way to prepare yourself for next week's, you can visit us at foundrychurch.net and find our weekly devotions by scrolling down on the homepage. Beating God's word every day is part of what we call our weekly rhythm here at the Foundry. We hope you felt challenged and encouraged by this and hope that you'll tune in again next week.